many preachers today have a strange doctrine concerning God. There's only one God, and that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and that God does not change. As he was in the Old Testament, he is in the New Testament, and yet these preachers are telling their congregations that there is a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. I asked God about that the other day, and I was instantly reminded of Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In the Old Testament, Paul says these things happened as examples for us so that we could learn from them. But some ministers today are teaching that God is different today. He's changed. That he's not the God of the Old Testament, the God of judgment, the God of destroying the people who do wrong. That he's different This is not what the Bible shows. What do we see happening at the end of the world, the book of Revelation? What do we see happening in places like uh, 2 Peter chapter 3? That's a key example for us, 2 Peter chapter 3. Because what we're going to see at the end of the world is God is going to destroy The heavens with fire. There's a passage of scripture that said the heavens rolled up as a scroll. You'll have to look that up. They rolled together as a scroll and they were on fire. The heavens were destroyed by fire. The earth and all its works were destroyed by fire. Only God can do that. Only God can destroy the heavens. In the 50s, we were threatened terribly by nuclear warfare. But could, even with nuclear warfare, could the entire Earth be moved out of place in the solar system? Because that's what's going to happen. If you read the prophet Isaiah, chapter 13, verse 13, the Earth moved out of its place, the heavens were shaken. The whole solar system was shaken by God. The heavens and the earth will be destroyed by God at the end. And every human being will answer at the judgment seat of Christ for that which he has done on this earth, whether it be good or bad. Hitler will answer. All of the past presidents will answer for what they've done, and whether good or bad. You and I will both answer. 
for what we have done, whether it be good or bad, at the judgment seat of Christ. So, Paul talks about the terror of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11 through 11, Paul said, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, of God, of Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, says Paul, we persuade men. Paul knew the terror of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the scriptures, of the word of God. If you understand in you that you must not disobey these scriptures because it can destroy you. If you have a fear of God, a reverential fear of God, you know he knows what's best for you. And if he gives you a word, you better do it. I mean, there's really no argument against what he tells you. Anyone in the churches who thinks that they can reason the word away that is given to them by God, whether it be a scripture or a direct word from God, you, you can't fight it. And you really should know inside you that God knows what is best for you. And you yield to it because you have that reverence, the fear of God in your heart. And you don't want to displease God. And to go against his word would be a terrible thing to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Abusers of themselves with mankind. We are told this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. After we become Christians, we are not the same as we were, before we were born again. But we might have a tendency to continue with friends of the past. But how can we do that when we're changed? How can you be at the bars when you're changed? You might have gone to the bars before as a man and tried to pick up women and have sex with them before you were born again. But how can you do that after you're born again? The friends you had in the world probably won't want anything to do with you. 
abusers of themselves with mankind. When we think of the Apostle Paul, he was very religious, very religious. And he excelled in his religion as a Pharisee, even to the point of persecuting the followers of Jesus until God opened his eyes. Well, as soon as God opens his eyes to the truth, Paul began speaking the truth. And the Jews, who once loved Paul, tried to kill him. Well, I wouldn't be surprised by what that happens in your life. The kind of people that you ran around with before you were born again were totally different from the ones that you are around now. I know a story uh, of a woman in East Texas who was a pharmacist, and she was a lesbian. She went into the hospital for an operation, and the night before the operation, a, a nurse appeared in her room, and the nurse said to her, Now you're not going to be the same after this operation. And Peggy said, oh, Yes, I know. And she said, No, no, you are going to be so different that you will not want to be around the people you were once around, and they won't want to be around you. When Peggy came to after the operation, she no longer wanted to be around the lesbians. And they didn't want to be around her. And Peggy went back to that hospital to talk to that nurse. That nurse did not exist. She'd never even been there. So what had happened to Peggy? She probably had a vision from God. And all of a sudden, she wants to go to church and be around Christians. That's how strongly our life has changed. To continue as an abuser of yourself with mankind, there's no way you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. God does not change. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He is a God of total judgment, a type of purity and righteousness that we can't even begin to imagine. He changes us from what we were. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Wasn't God with them in the wilderness? Didn't God instruct them in the wilderness? Wasn't Christ with them, giving them the word of God as they went through the wilderness? That rock was Christ the word. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our example 
to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day twenty-three thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, complain, neither complain, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples for us. And they are written for our admonition, for our warning. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. In the church that I attended when I lived in Dallas, our Sunday school teacher, Bible teacher, was a divorced man who liked to go to bars. I knew he was going to the bars. God gave me a message for him. I told him, before you leave your apartment to go to the bar, sit down and write out a teaching, a Bible teaching for me. Send it to me. Every time before you start to go to the bar, sit down and write out a Bible teaching and send it to me. He did this for four or five days, and then he stopped doing it. He said it was ruining his desire to go to the bar, that when he wrote the Bible teaching for me, he was losing his desire to go to the bar. Now, what does the scripture say? In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. A way to escape. I believe through me God gave this man a way to escape, but he did not want to escape. So he stopped writing the messages and sending them to me. He ended up committing fornication and attracting women to himself at the bars, committing fornication. And I had to put him away from me because Paul says, if any man is called a brother, be a fornicator or a drunker, or a railer, or an extortioner. Don't eat with him. Put him away from you. 1 Corinthians 5. So when I went to him and said, I've heard about this girlfriend, tell me about her. 
and he kind of beat around the bush. And I finally said to him, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. He showed no shame whatsoever that he was violating scripture. And I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything more to do with you. I can't attend your Bible class. I can't be your friend. He said, that's right. He didn't care. He had changed so much, he didn't care. Sin does that to us. That's one reason that I give these exhortations, because I am placed in the body of Christ to give exhortations to the church. And I'm instructed by two chapters of Scripture, which says, Exhort one another daily. And another which says, do it even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Because these temptations are so great, these exhortations can help us. There have been times that I've almost been swept away this year of 2020 by the sin that is committed by other people against us by the fact they don't care what they do to us. That's very hard to go through that. Paul said in the last days perilous times will come because men will be lovers of their own selves. They will care only about their, their own selves. And when you see that, it is so difficult to endure it. And then at just the right time, There'll be someone raised up by God to tell me how much an exhortation that I have spoken helped them. And I am encouraged by them. God uses that to raise me up and encourage me. Let's look at these two passages of Scripture on this subject of exhorting one another. Hebrews chapter 3. Start at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Exhort one another daily. I do that. You see me doing that all the time on the blog and on these podcasts because it's my job to do this. I have a gift of exhortation. But even in your case, even if you don't have a gift of exhortation, warn them when you see them in danger. Exhort means to urge earnestly by advice and warning. Now they may flee from you. They flee from me all the time. They may flee from you. But you have saved yourself. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. For there's another word on this subject of exhortation. Start at verse 23. Let us hold fast 
the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. There are times the devil will say to me, you write too many exhortations, you write too many things, you record too many things, and God will remind me of this instruction. The devil will take you the opposite way from God if you allow it. This scripture says, exhort one another and even the more. Do it even more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord. If you see the day of Jesus approaching and the great tribulation coming, exhort people even more. And verse 26 tells us why we should exhort them. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, if you fall away from the truth of God, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we're trying to keep them from falling into the hands of the living God. We are trying to keep them from falling away from Scripture. That is our goal. For in the end times, there will be much wickedness around us. Jesus says in Matthew 24, In the end times... Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. The love of many will wax cold. But he that endures unto the end, the same will be saved. It is a very perilous time because of the iniquity around us. And the sins approved by not only society today but by many of the churches who approve things contrary to the Bible so it is a perilous time we must exhort one another and warn one another for our spiritual life really depends on it if we fall away there's no more sacrifice for sin. That's exactly what this scripture says in Hebrews 10. We grab on to God and hold fast. We grab on to these scriptures, even in the storms that hit us, and we say, I refuse to turn away. 
I am going to hold on to this, for if I turn away, I have nothing. One of our church members came to me one time, and she said, I no longer care about anything. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about anything spiritual, the blog. I don't care about any person anymore. And I said to her, but what's going to happen to you if you go that way? And she said to me, I don't want to speak to you about these things. Well, God had already given me a a vision of her leaving us and disappearing from us. Yielding to devils, yielding to their thoughts, just like I told you a minute ago. I have thoughts. You talk too much. You give too many exhortations. You write too much. You do too many podcasts. Why do I do these daily podcasts? I do them because I see exhort one another daily. And I believe the Bible more than I believe the devil who tries to convince me not to do them. You have to hold on. You just grab it and hold on to those scriptures. In spite of what's happened in your life. For they're your only hope. You have no hope if you turn loose from the scriptures. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.